Welcome to the Story Engine. I'm Tristan Verboven. Before we begin this episode, I would like to apologize for the wait. I realize that it has taken me longer to release this episode than it did for Hannibal himself to march an entire rebel army and a herd of elephants over the French Alps into Italy. But I assure you that it takes time to do things right. So I appreciate your support more than ever. Thank you for downloading this episode and enjoy part two of three in the series we call Hannibal and the Fight for Big Water. Ever since Marshal Skippy took to riding with his son, Folks have started calling them Old Skippy and Young Skippy. Not that Old Skippy's old. He still has it in him to keep the peace in Seven Hills. So when word got out that a fighting band of warriors was riding out of the western reaches of Big Water, led by a man named Hannibal, he rustled up his own war party to cut them off at the pass. Over where the mountains meet Big Water marks the frontier. Everything east is settled land. The native tribes have long been tamed, roads and temples have been built, and Seven Hills keeps the peace. But beyond the mountains and that narrow strip of coast is the Badlands, still roamed by savages and wild beasts. So before Skippy takes his men farther than that pass, he sends riders ahead to scout the horizon. Younger Skippy is first to see the riders return, and he hurries down the rough path with his father to meet them. You've been gone so long, we started to fear you dead, young Skippy half-jokes. We have come a long way, replies the scout. Around this bay and the next, across the great river and beyond. And... No sight of Hannibal and his band, inquires old Skippy. Only once we came to Saguntum, where we found the burning remains of an entire tribe massacred and their stores raided. The survivors told us the invaders made their way east towards Seven Hills. Well, the only way is through this pass, says old Skippy. Where have they disappeared? Well, we tracked them until the Great River, reports the scout. The local tribesmen say that a large force forded the river with warriors of at least a dozen tribes and a train of pack animals a mile long and a herd of giant tame beasts the likes of which they've never seen before. What stories, laughs old Skippy. And where do they take these giant beasts? Surely not over the mountains. I sent some riders northeast to track them, replies the scout. We intercepted a small group of them as they disappeared up the mountain pass. Well, that means they'll be deep up in that pass in midwinter. They'll be lucky to survive a day, says young Skippy. I've known the Cartha my whole life, says old Skippy. I've never seen one stray from the side of big water let alone climb a mountain. 
lest their gods deal them a terrible misfortune. I fear, Father, that this Hannibal's no regular Cartha, and that his men no longer fear any misfortune their gods deal them. I don't care how tough and crazy these redskins are, replies older Skippy. If any one of them makes it out the other end of that mountain range, we'll be ready for them. The old marshal orders his men to move out. Within the hour, they are making their way back through the pass to the foot of the mountains at Tokino. Once they're on their way, younger Skippy calls one of his riders with a message to Seven Hills. Send for Marshal Long, he tells the messenger. Get him to gather a posse and meet us up at the Treby River. Something about this rebel barbarian does not sit well with me. As time goes by, in Seven Hills, the name of Hannibal comes to pass by everyone's lips. In the weeks since the citizens first heard the name, the news has gotten more and more troubling. At first, it comes from messengers with dispatches from Marshal Skippy taking position at Tokino. Then from Marshal Long setting up his position at Treby River. Then, slowly, the messages stop. And in their place, an ever-growing flow of settlers fleeing their lands in search of protection. Not long after, it is the men of Old Skippy's party. Then Old Skippy himself, laid out on a stretcher, barely clinging to life, with his son at his side. The survivors, their voices broken in terror, tell of the battle. Expecting to find the huddled remains of Hannibal's survivors, they instead find enraged warriors from unknown tribes pouring from the forest and from behind rocks to engulf them. Then came the shattered remains of Marshal Long's men, one of the deputies in a lifeless gaze. Cartha riders drew us from our camp in the early morning frost, but when we chased them, found ourselves fording an icy mountain river. At the other side, we were cut down by a sudden horde of Cartha raiders led by Hannibal's brother, Mago. These men somehow survived their mountain crossing, but rather than weakening them, it has made them stronger, more ruthless, without fear. The stories send dread into the citizens of Seven Hills. Hordes of savages, pillaging towns and burning farms. Then more news. In a cunning ruse, yet another troop of men from Seven Hills is tricked into a narrow passage between water and cliff. Then, from the darkness comes a hail of violence, destroying them helplessly where they stand. Each attack is carried out in stunning brutality and precision. Young Skippy listens with great interest to these accounts wondering what sort of savage this Hannibal could be. A man who could raise such a fighting force from all these nations to find in them loyalty and common purpose? <laughs> 
a will to fight with such bravery and discipline? With such a small band of men, he could take down forces twice his size. This is no ordinary man. through the darkness to furious howls from his brother's bivouac. Hannibal wakes in a rage, his eyes still fixed on the visions before him. What haunts you, my brother? Mago restrains his flailing arms. A demon has possessed you! Hannibal comes to at the sight of his brother's face. His own voice breaks the spell, but his gaze is still locked on the dream. I was standing before a mangled, putrid swamp. The earth crawled with tangled branches, but they were limbs and broken weapons of a great army. And for Bog, there were pools of bloody ooze crawling with rodents and insects. Never before have I seen so much horror, death, and misery as far as the eye could see. Perhaps you have seen an omen, replies Mago with concern. Could the gods be warning you of our fate? But the bodies I see, the bodies I see are the men of seven hills, says Hannibal. And I stand before them with you at my side. Yes, yes, and the day, the day is ours. The day is ours, my brother. And our victory, our victory is more hideous and glorious than you could ever imagine. Just when I thought the gods had abandoned us, says Mago, they offer this splendid premonition. No, Hannibal grabs his brother's shoulders. It is a warning. They warn us of a great ordeal ahead. We have angered a giant. Seven hills will come at us with everything they have. Everything! And we must be prepared for them. We have recovered from the mountain crossing, says Mago. Our victories have given the men new strength. They are more loyal and driven than ever. Then they will face their greatest moment, smiles Hannibal. If Seven Hills brings us every warrior they have, then we shall destroy them in one fatal blow. And our vengeance will be complete, and victory will be ours, my brother, and Carthage shall return to Big Water forever! Hannibal is right. In Seven Hills, the citizens bicker how these uncouth brigands could deal such a blow. They vow not to rest until this enemy is crushed. Able men are called to rally against the invaders. They are equipped and trained with the finest weapons and put in charge of the most able leaders. The enlightened and powerful citizens of Seven Hills shall do what they have always done. They shall destroy Hannibal with a heavy hand. They shall come together in great numbers and train their beams of blinding light into the darkness. A scale of devastation 
that cannot be given a number. But numbers mean nothing to Hannibal. If he had cared for numbers when he began his journey from western Big Water, he would have counted the miles to seven hills and abandoned his march. If he had cared for numbers, he would have counted his men before crossing the mountains that winter, and counted them after, and abandoned his march. And if he cared for numbers, he would have counted the men he brought to Kane that day, and then counted his opponents. And he would have done what any man, including you and I, dear listener, would do, and he would have surrendered at the sight of the fearsome force. But because numbers mean nothing, he finds himself taking his position in a valley nestled between rolling hills under the hot sun. The earth darkens under the boots of armed men. They pour in from every settlement on the northern part of Big Water. In numbers nobody has ever seen before. They come to show the Redskins who they are, the sons of the finest families, taking up arms alongside simple farm boys, equal as they marvel at their own mass, united in their pride and strength. Seven Hills truly is the most powerful of people. From afar, many of the men of Seven Hills lay eyes upon the savages for the first time. They seem such a sorry lot, with their painted faces, their carved weapons, their feathered heads, they see the rusty braided locks of the Gauls, the bobbing headbands of the Balearic slingers, and the twisted blades of the Iberian axes. They can almost smell them, they're so close. How they wish they could break ranks and pour into them, murdering them by the dozen, those filthy barbarians. But they stay in their lines. Every man of Seven Hills knows this of himself that in the face of these native brutes, they win by superior means, by strength, discipline, and the combined force of an unbroken line. This victory will be a message to all tribes who dare cross them. They will see the might of a civilized people. Hannibal knows this of them too. He knows that in their zeal, the men of Seven Hills will try for an easy victory, using their massive force to overrun the artless horde. Sure enough, they advance in solid lines, greeting the enemy with an ordered wall of steel. But the Gaulish braves quickly swarm the ranks, and they are soon bogged down in a furious slaughter. The battlefield becomes a chaotic mess of violence as the men of Seven Hills hack their way deep into the barbarian mass. It is the moment for Hannibal to strike. From beyond the surrounding hills come in the Numidian horsemen. Flapping their cloaks in the wind, they swiftly corral the battlefield, cutting away the fighters of seven hills like flightless birds. As they try to regroup, they are trampled under the hooves of mighty elephants. Hannibal's Gatulian warriors then push the scattered ranks into an enclosure so tight that they can hardly lift their own arms to fight. No sooner has Seven Hills' mighty force been assembled than it has been destroyed. 
Those who flee the slaughter run for their lives. Those trapped in the fight wait in terror for their own death. Crushed and cut down without the honor of a fight. Stacked in bales like fall harvest. Left to bleed a river of horror. And now it is over. One day that seemed an eternity. Hannibal's warriors have not yet had the time to rejoice their victory. They have spent this day desperately dispatching the maddening task of silencing the incessant moans of survivors so that they may sleep. Night falls and they abandon it in futility and in sleep succumb to the feverish nightmares that accompany such a wholesale slaughter of men. Days later, unable to endure the stench, Hannibal orders the camp moved, and gazing one last time upon his life's work, he wonders if his father would now relieve him of his oath of revenge, or is it seven hills that must give him leave of his mission? For this victory, how could this not be a victory? Days. Then weeks pass, and Seven Hills offers no surrender. Never, thinks Hannibal, has a defeat been so devastating, yet his pale-skinned enemy gives only silence. Could they have another such mass of warriors waiting? Where is their emissary to deal terms? What terrible ruse awaits him? His own men wonder the same. They have been promised their revenge against Seven Hills. Is this not it? Hannibal's men are loyal, but they are driven by hate and fueled by victory. With no more enemy to strike and no glory to relish, what use do they have of a leader? As long as he has no answers to these questions, the men will not rest. Weapons pointed outwards will turn within. If Seven Hills does not come forth to surrender, he will go to the gates and demand it. Fearing the worst from within his own ranks, he disguises himself as a common brave, moves his men towards Seven Hills through the cover of forest by night, then to remain stealth, takes a route through a labyrinth of foul marshlands, only to cross once again a treacherous mountain pass. And the gods do not help him. Instead of good fortune and tidings of his glorious victory, he meets with unseasonal storms that shred his tents and provisions with gale-force winds. He spends his restless nights brandishing his fist at the thunder and lightning skies, and in return, pestilence attacks his ranks, bringing Hannibal himself to feverish sleep, eventually giving his right eye to the sickness of the elephants that had so horrified their enemy in the field. Only one survives. Hannibal now rides the mighty beast as his mount, its broken tusk fitted with a macabre weapon of war.
in Seven Hills, what remains of their fighting men has been arriving in a scattered trickle. The long walk from Cannae has done nothing to calm their shattered nerves, for they still shake as they tell of the horrors. They have witnessed their brothers, sons, fathers, and comrades shorn down like cornstalks, screaming like boys, sinking into a marsh of blood. Instead of a heroic victory parade, there is but a shadow of the fighting force to defend the town. The women are huddled at the temple, making the most hysterical of covenants to deliver them from grief and from the vulgar band of raiders that has now camped outside their town. Their fearsome silhouettes mark the dusk horizon. Young Skippy sits by his father's side as the old marshal clings to life from his battle wounds. They can hear the macabre Cartha war drums in the distance. They are all about us, says young Skippy desperately, but they do not attack. Why don't they just finish us off? Surely they don't fear us. He's no coward, replies old Skippy. He just wants to torment us. What sort of bravery is that? He's not brave like us. He will only fight a battle he knows he will win. But he has not won this one yet. But in time, says young Skippy, he will raise reinforcements. He will starve us to madness. And then he will strike when we're weak. You are right, son. Old Skippy finds the strength. This is no ordinary barbarian. His lust for vengeance has brought this horde to our gates. He has found our weakness, but he has weaknesses of his own. We cannot possibly face him in battle, replies Skippy sadly. Our tactics don't work with him. He feeds off our brashness, attacks a strong force where it's weakest. His men are driven by a ferocious rage, like him. Old Skippy clutches his hand in defiance. Seven Hills must never submit. Never! We will not fall this way to trickery. He may seem to have us by the horns, my son, but he is much weaker than he looks. He's a long way from home, living off the land, and he has an army to feed. That makes them more eager than ever for victory, says young Skippy. And yet he does not strike, says old Skippy. Hannibal knows how to fight, but he doesn't know how to win. But for them, destroying Seven Hills is their only way out, says young Skippy. How can we fight an enemy that has nowhere to retreat and nothing to lose? Do they really have nothing to lose? asks old Skippy with a look of cunning. The Karth are not warriors. He has raised his army from the tribes of Big Water, and he has marched them here to Seven Hills. If he's here at our gates, then who defends his home? Who defends Kartha? Young Skippy dwells a moment on these words. Old Skippy speaks again. We have let him choose the battlefield too many times. From now on, seven hills shall decide the tempo. We shall strike him where he is weak. 
I will gather the last of my men, says Skippy, and we'll sneak out in the dead of night to make our way to western big water. With his warriors in the field, we can strike him where it hurts. His brother has Drubal, and a small reserve force have stayed behind to defend the Barca homestead. We can burn down his home, murder his reinforcements in their sleep. And I will stay here to defend Seven Hills, says old Skippy. But by the looks of it, I will be leading women and children into battle. Don't worry, father. Hannibal doesn't want Seven Hills. He wants revenge. He will go where the fight is, and I will take the fight to him. Seven Hills cannot die. Seven Hills is the light. We shall shine what light is left into the darkness. Seven Hills will never die. Seven Hills can never die, never! And so, Skippy and the last of his band of loyal troops makes their way west. Only this time, they will go beyond the narrow pass that makes the frontier, and across the great river, and along the coast, past the ruins of Segunto, to the very gates of Hannibal's home. Then we will see who the greater warrior truly is. For Seven Hills is far from defeated, and this fight is far from over. I'm Tristan Verboven. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Special thanks goes out to Jamie Tiemann in Bucharest for pushing me to finish this episode. A special shout out also to my listeners in Wichita, Kansas. We would love to hear from you, so please leave us your comments on the webpage. Don't forget to tell your friends about us. I would also like to recommend some podcasts that have inspired this show. Check out Craig Buddy's History of Pirates podcast, and of course, Jordan Harbour's Twilight Histories podcast, both available on iTunes. Episode 3 is coming soon, so subscribe to the Story Engine, and you'll be the first to know when it comes out. Till then, thanks for listening.